You're listening to One Sky, a UNC Keenan Flagler Business School podcast. In this episode, Gabriella Ferrari and Susan Malberg talk to Kevin Ortiz, a first-generation college student and first-year MBA with a passion for building leadership opportunities for underrepresented minorities. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Uh, without, you know, sounding, you know, too much like recruiting or anything, can you can you introduce yourself to our audience? Um, tell us a little bit back about your background prior to business school. Yeah, of course, Gabriela. It's, it's it's great to be here with you, and I appreciate the invitation to be here in the podcast and to uh, share a little bit of kind of what my journey has been so far to uh, Keenan Flagler. So. You know, like, like you mentioned, my name is Kevin Ortiz. I was born in Mexico in a small town called Lagos de Moreno, Jalisco. I'm one of three siblings, so I'm a middle child, have an older brother and a younger sister. And at the age of 12 years old, right, I often like to tell the story as to how I got to Kenyon Flagler by telling my personal story into that. Uh, so that when I was 12 years old, my, my family uh, migrated to the United States. Uh, my father had done that ahead of us uh, seven years before. I was five when he, he came to the United States. And my mom eventually realized that it was time for us to kind of come together and, and have the family together. And so it, it was in 2003, at the end of the November 2000, came to the United States. We kind of put the family together, right? We always like to say that we, we came to the U.S. out of love and uh, out of uh, a, necess- a necessity or, or a need for family as well as finding better opportunities in, in this uh, great nation. Uh, and I grew up in Orlando, Florida. So I went straight to Orlando, Florida, and I, I really enjoyed my time. I've lived there for 15 years. I oftentimes say that I went to middle school. I went to high school. So if we have anyone that's from Colonial High School listening to this, you know, a big shout out to the Grenadiers. And, uh, you know, when I, I, at that moment, uh, I, I realized and I always realized that college was something that I wanted to do. My parents didn't get a chance to go to college. So I really wanted to do that not so much because i had a passion for a career or something i think i one time i was like maybe i want to be an architect and clearly i'm not an architect today but at one point that was something that i was considering and which eventually took me to to do well in school and eventually graduate with with good grades unfortunately uh, i wasn't able at that moment to to execute on the dream which was to go to college and i began working full-time in a restaurant Eventually, I did go to college six years later. Uh, I graduated high school 2008. Uh, so I was a, an adult learner. I was a, a, a non-traditional student. It's oftentimes the use or the verbiage used for these type of students that uh, are from a first-generation background, maybe take five, six, seven years to go to college after high school. And, uh, you know, after some uh, grinding and some hard work, eventually I graduated from UCF, uh, the University of Central Florida in Orlando with a degree in business administration and finance. My major was finance and I also did a minor in Latin American studies. So I like to tell you all of that because my story and, and kind of where I come from is how I ended up at Kenan Flagler. So what I did when I graduated college in 2017 is I, I oftentimes joke with this because it's so it's funny, but it, it's not true. I always say that I did what every Floridian does when they graduate high school, college, and I moved to Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, well, I'm kidding. Nobody that I know moved to Greensboro, North Carolina out of college. But I did it because I found a, a role, I found a job that was really 
uh, uh, the dream job for me. It was leadership development at colleges and universities. It was talking to college students about ways of, about how to improve their own self-awareness and how to develop better leaders and, and develop themselves. Uh, and I love that so much that I, I moved to, uh, to North Carolina. I was on my own. I didn't have any friends, no relatives, no family. I left everything behind and I came to, to, to Greensboro. And during my time in North Carolina, I really got a chance to interact with North Carolinians and kind of learn a little bit of the Carolina way. Uh, so when I heard about UNC and I heard about the business school, Kingdom Flagler, uh, it sparked my interest from day one. And when the time came to start looking into grad school, I, I really only considered Kingdom Flagler as this school for me to go to. I was very impressed with the quality of, of the caliber of the uh, folks that I've met who had an MBA from Kingdom Flagler. Uh, the way that folks will talk about the school and, and the reputation. So that is one of the reasons that I ended up here. And, and uh, my background is in leadership development. It's in diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. So I hope to be able to stay in that track uh, once I graduate from, from UNC. Kevin, I want to focus on that word dream, because you used the word dream when you talked about initially looking at colleges, you used it again when you talked about uh, your job and where that has led you. And I know you were also recently published in Hispanic Stars Rising, where you assert that the dream is now, that it starts the moment you develop an aspiration. So I'm curious, what is your aspiration? For me, I connect those three things into one one area all right passion the dream for me that aligns with with this concept of purpose to me my purpose is to inspire and build better and that means at the times build better student leaders build better migrant communities build better relationships better friends so in any interaction that i have with people that i meet today i want to make sure that i am sparking a little light, a little fire in them that inspires them to want to be better for themselves as well as for their community. And so, you know, I draw that line all the way back to when I was in high school and I had the, the dream, right? I mean, you, you, Susan, you mentioned the, 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 the feature. I talk about El Sueñito, uh, which uh, uh, it, it means little dream in Spanish. And so El Sueñito to me, and for a lot of migrant communities connects with this concept of the American dream, right? El sueño americano coming to the United States to be, to do better than your parents, to do what they were not able to do. And so I knew that when I came to the United States, I was gonna have a great chance, but at the same time, it came with a lot of sacrifice. So the point I'm trying to make is the dream back then was simply to go to college. It was impossible. It was, it was a dream because it was truly impossible for me to do that in 2008. In 2017, nine years later, when I got my bachelor's degree and that dream was realized, I, like many other uh, undocumented students, we struggle with the concept of what do I do now? You know, I achieved the dream. I mean, the dream was to go to college and, and, and do what my parents haven't done. I did that. It's done. What's next? And a lot of us struggle with that. It's like, what am I going to do next? Like, because we're always in that concept of, I got to make sure that I'm honoring the sacrifice of my parents and the sacrifice of, of also of, of my siblings and, and my own. And so I come to realize that the dream is always evolving. You're always going to have things that you aspire, right? And, and, and when you mentioned that quote is that the aspiration is something that it, it speaks to you. 
Joseph Campbell, I'm a big fan of mythology. He talks about this concept of the hero's journey. He talks about the call to action, right? We all get a call to action at times. Sometimes the aspiration or the dream can be that very call to action. You know, it can be like, hey, guess, you know, Kenan Flagler has one of the best UNC uh, MBA programs in the nation. You could apply to that. What was my reaction to that? I said, mm, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if it's the right time. How am I going to pay for it? All these doubts start to come into us. So what I've come to realize is that instead of waiting for this concept of tomorrow or next year or next month, I'm going to be happy. Once I graduate from Kenyan Flagler and I get my MBA, I'm going to be happy. Once I pass my three classes, I'm going to be happy. Once I get my internship, I'm going to be happy, right? It, it just becomes what people consider the uh, endonomic treadmill. I'm sure I'm misspelling that or mispronouncing that. But it's this concept that we're always looking for the next piece when we, re we should really focus on the present and realize that if there's something you want to do, you need to start working today on that. I was working on my dream of going to college since I came to the United States. When I graduated, I, was, I did some soul searching. I found a purpose, which was helping young Latino students, minority students develop self-awareness through leadership development and, and neuropsychology concepts. That gave me a lot of purpose, a lot of meaning. So as long as I was doing that and I was staying on purpose, I felt like the dream was being achieved. So I feel like I'm elaborating on a big point, but at the end of it, really to me, living in the moment, embracing the sad, the joy, the happiness, the bad times is what makes us human. And it should really stop to embrace that and to every single day aspire to be better and to inspire others to be better. So I really appreciate you mentioning that, that quote on the book because it, it, it took me a lot to, it took me a lot to kind of come up with those concepts as I was writing it. And, and I'm glad that folks are appreciating uh, the output. So you mentioned, you know, being in the moment and, and what I love is that you're not waiting till after you graduate and what you're going to do afterwards and like kind of focusing that way, but like you're doing a lot of these things now. So can you yeah. speak to a little bit more of like your work with like Hispanic institutions to, to help other people uh, pursue their dreams? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So, right. Another reason I came to UNC, I, I, was, I didn't mention this earlier in, in the recording, in the podcast, is that uh, during my time, uh, my previous role at Truist Leadership Institute, I developed a partnership with the University of North Carolina uh, Latinx Center. It's called the, the Latinx Center at UNC. And think of it as a Latino student resource center. It's a place it's a little casita, it's a little home where Latino students, undergraduate students and graduate students can go in, hang out, interact with other Latino students and don't feel the need to justify their presence at the university. In that space, we're all Latinos. In that space, we all come from the similar backgrounds. We don't have to be saying, oh, I'm, I'm from this place. And no, we get it. When you, said you're, when you said you're from Central America, we want to know what country. When you say... Uh, your mom used to cook tamales or used to sell tamales or, or something like that. We get what that means, right? So it's, it's, it's a space for, for folks to be uh, welcome. And I tell you, it's one of the main reasons I came to UNC. It's not because of Kenan Flagler being top 20 business school, right? Not entirely, at least. It's because there's an environment in this university that is trying to build better Latino students. There's a long way to go and they need a lot more support and help from other organizations but they're doing some of the best work that I've seen yet. So when I have time and I don't have classes, uh, especially on Tuesdays after class, uh, or during Mod 3, 
I go down to the Latinx center and I hang out with some Lat uh, undergraduate students and I can't help but be inspired by them and the stuff that they do. Uh, and, and just recently, uh, two weeks ago, the Latinx center hosted their leader conference, uh, which is their first ever uh, conference. I talked to, to the executive director and to some of the folks who run it and uh, I helped design a little bit of the agenda, not just a little bit. And then I, I, uh, they asked me if I could support with facilitating a session. So I did, and we did an activity where the students created a bit of, uh, at first they developed some self-awareness then some interpersonal awareness by getting to know each other. And I came in to facilitate a, a session where they developed more of an awareness about the external environment around UNC, around the world and around Latino issues. Uh, to better understand them, to, for them to better understand it. Uh, I, I remember saying at the end, you know, it's like, if you know yourself, if you know how to work with others, and you kind of have an idea of what's going on around you, you can, be, you can be dangerous in your influence. You can be dangerous on your leadership. So uh, I, I, that's some of the work that I do. In addition to that, um, Gabriela and, and Susan, I'm also the president of a nonprofit in Winston-Salem. So the nonprofit is called the Hispanic League. It's a nonprofit organization here in North Carolina. Uh, we have three employees, an executive director and two, two other employees. Our main goal is to drive multiculturalism, celebrate it. And our main initiative is providing scholarships to Latino students to go to college. And uh, so far we have, in our 30 year history, we have provided over a million dollars in scholarships to Latino students in North Carolina. Uh, so it's to me an honor and a privilege to be able to be of service to such an organization that is truly doing the work and doing the impact and trying to celebrate, inspire, and build uh, the next generation of leaders in the United States, particularly the Latino Hispanic student. I mean, I think your passion really shines through, especially in this aspect of student leadership development and what you're doing across those spaces. How does this fit in with what you want to do with your MBA? Once you finish your time here at Keenan Flagler, like what's next on the horizon? Yeah, what's next? So <laughs> I, I, Susan, I'll tell you, I always say that I came to figure it out. And when I do that, I put my hand up and I, I go finger by finger, figure it out because I still, <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's what I came to do. So my passion brought me to UNC and, and what I wanna get out of Chapel Hill is a better understanding of organizational behavioral dynamics. Uh, I wanna get a better understanding of, of communication techniques, uh, how to inspire, how to influence, how to be a more effective executive leader so that I can then in turn, either in the future at a nonprofit or in my own organization or in another organization, have a leadership role that allows me to develop. It allows me to grow early career talent, especially the, the minority talent that I'm very much passionate about. And so to me, looking into the next couple of years, I wanna find a role or a position that allows me to continue to do what I've been doing, which is do a lot of work in the community that I don't get paid for. Uh, I get a lot of intrinsic value out of that. So for me, an ideal role would allow me to, yeah, be fulfilled at the role, but also have enough time and leeway to step away from that and do community work uh, that I could, I mean, to this day, sometimes I feel like I do a little too much of it and I'm supposed, I should be studying for accounting or another exam when instead I'm getting ready for a meeting with a nonprofit or I'm getting ready for a conversation with some students, but that's what fills me, right? 
And it, 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 to bring it back to that, Susan, to me, it's all about the purpose, right? Another reason that I came to get an MBA or my motivators to get an MBA is if I'm trying to build a better community, a more educated community, I need to be part of that change. And when I looked at some of the data, less than 9% of Latino undergraduate students in the United States, right? Think of those Latinos who make it through, break the cycle and get a graduate, uh, undergraduate degree. Only 9% of those go on to get a graduate degree, 9%, less than 9%. And so I'm, if I'm out here talking about, hey, you should go to college and make it happen and, and give them all these statistics, I should probably part of, be part of that change too. So I am not here to go work at a big consulting firm and make a lot of money, right? To me, when I graduate, I am graduating with my family. I'm graduating with my community. And I, it, it's more of an, a, community, a, a community achievement. And to quote... Maya Angelou and Oprah in one of their conversations, you know, I might come as one or I might graduate as one, but I come as 10,000 or 100,000 or however many thousands that are come before me and that are gonna continue to come after me. So looking at the future, I'm not really too concerned with where I end up as long as I can continue to be on purpose. And to me, that is the most important thing. So you talked a lot about building community, and I know at Keenan Flagler, aside from your leadership roles and things like that that you're involved in, you are very active socially and, and bringing people together. So I've heard rumors of some salsa dancing classes and soccer. So uh, talk a little bit more about that. Like, how do you find the, the fun things that, you know, also, you know, create connections between people? Yeah, so of course, uh, you know, I think it's been such a tough time for all of us. You know, I mean, this, this past year and a half, this past two years, I remember when I first came to Greensboro, I stumbled across a group of friends that I now call family. And the only thing we had in common was that we were not from Greensboro. We were all from somewhere else. We started to hang out and we started going to salsa classes and then we started going out. And, and, and dancing at night, like Friday night, we all go to this place and just like dance the night away and just really get to know each other, right? We will be very inclusive, very friendly. We will dance with everybody as well. And it was just a good vibe. At that time in my life, I had never done anything like that. From the moment I've been born to the moment I was, I left uh, Orlando, Florida, and I was still living with my family, uh, I would never go out dancing because my mama would not approve. You know, it's like, my mom is a kind of strict Hispanic mom who she never let us have alcohol in the home. Never. Uh, if you were going out at 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. with somebody, it's like, con quien vas? Who are you going with? And I always, I, I never did anything like that. I was always at home. So I left Florida, came to Greensboro, and I started to like be in group chats and be included in, hey, what are you doing tonight? Hey, what's happening tomorrow? And it was, it was weird, but it was so cool. So when I came to UNC, after a year of uh, social distancing, from that came this concept of, well, what, we have uh, over 300 first-year students who all kind of need to get to know each other, who all kind of want to have fun too. And I defaulted to what helped me when I came to Greensboro, which was, well, we could put a, do a salsa class, right? And, and I have learned just enough salsa and bachata during my time in Greensboro that I could teach a very basic class, uh, but people loved it. And, and, and uh, people asked me uh, weeks after that to, you know, when's the next one, when's the next one? 
So that told me that people really appreciated it. Really, it's just more about bringing people together, having people in, in family life situations where we can develop such relationships where if someone has a trouble or, or a challenge, they can reach out to you and just talk about stuff, whether it's classes or personal things or what's challenging you. So I, I really, when I started doing the salsa, it was because of that, because I was trying to also find my own community. And so <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of both things, right? It's like I needed that, but I also realized people needed that. And so it was just a really nice thing to do. And I mean, I know that I've already talked quite a bit, but I can definitely then talk about the soccer crew. You know, Susan was just saying earlier in, in our conversation how she still remembers our first game and how she somehow managed to score a goal on me. And it's true. I will validate that statement. It's, it happened. Uh, and she will not let it go away. And I hope she doesn't because it's part of the uh, experience. I didn't start the soccer club. Let me just say that. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even the leader of the soccer club. I'm just a player that loves going out and sweating with his friends. It's just a lot of fun to be around and hang out with people and to do things that are not just school or recruiting base. And I really appreciate it. And I will finish my little statements here with, to me, my favorite part of my MBA experience has been uh, my 9 a.m. soccer games with my friends and my late nights dancing salsa and bachata that to me has been the best experience that I hope I'm able to continue to do, and not just during my time at UNC, but beyond that uh, with the community that I get a chance to interact with. So, Kevin, I think it's really fair to say that you've leaned into these different dynamic spaces that have been created you know, for our class over the past few months. But we often as individuals also talk about how the business school experience changes us on a personal level. So you have this idea of community, but then, you know, we're all transforming in our own ways. So how do you feel the Keenan Flagler Business School experience has impacted who you are at your core? I think that the biggest change that I've faced or that I've experienced in my short time here at Keenan Flagler has been a few things that I can mention. One is a greater appreciation for the many cultures of the world. Oftentimes, I would be the one who is very knowledgeable on a particular thing like Latino issues or Latin American history, but I wouldn't know a lot about African history or European history or Asian history. So interacting with folks from Africa, interacting with folks from India and Japan, and to some way, somehow, still find things that we have in common and to learn from them, it's pretty interesting to me, you know, I'll I, I tell you. So I'm a, I grew up watching a lot of anime and a lot of the anime I watch is from Japan. And the other day I was talking with one of our classmates, Takayuki, and I'm telling him, hey man, did you, what do you know about this anime? He said, Kevin, that's, that's like the best anime in Japan. And then what do you know about this song that I don't know what the song's about, but have you heard it? So he's like, yeah. Uh, that's a big hit pop song in Japan. Like any, everybody knows it. And I'm like, okay, man, that's so cool. So I'm, I'm out here, you know, I always had an interest for the, the world and for different cultures, but to actually be able to sit next to somebody who's, who, who lived there, who's from Japan, who's from China, who's from India, uh, who, who, you know, from Nigeria as well, 
uh, and to be able to have a conversation with them, it makes you realize just how little of the world you know and how much is there to explore. And that is one of the things that I hope I never take for granted again. And I mean, I hope that I don't take for granted this moment that I have to interact with people from all over the world. That to me is one of the things that has, has shifted my view. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Satya Nadella. He's the CEO of Microsoft. And he has a quote in, in one of his books or in one of his TED Talks. He talks about when you change, when you change the way you see the world, you change the world you see. And I feel like UNC is allowing me to change a little bit of the way I see the world, uh, not just from the global perspective, but you think about the sustainability perspective. We had the Net Impact Forum a few weeks ago and my mind was just, I mean, I've never, I heard about these concepts, Net Zero, Sustainability, LEED Certified, but I never really understood what that meant or that there was stuff beyond that that we should be striving for. So that really allows me to get a different way of looking at the world, which made Satya's quote a lot more uh, relevant to me, uh, especially during, during the Net Impact Forum. And so that, that will tell you, that's from, as a, 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 I guess, leadership, professional perspective. From a more personal perspective, I have been challenged to know myself a lot more know, understand who I am, understand how I come across to some folks. It has challenged me to learn how to be more empathetic and how to fully understand someone else's conversation or what they're trying to tell me without really telling it to me. Uh, so I think on a personal level, coming out of the pandemic and, and being in, around so many people and, and different perspectives, oftentimes my classmates mention things that are so obvious after they say it that I'm looking at myself like, why didn't I think about that before? Like, how come I missed that? Why had I never looked at it from that lens? So I think for me on a personal note, I really am allowing the experiences to challenge me. And I feel like that is gonna allow me to be more effective in my leadership moving forward, my relationships moving forward, and just overall, uh, um, the way that I think about who is Kevin and how Kevin is and what is his purpose in this world. So I tend to be someone who tends to meditate and reflect and think about things all the time. So sometimes I'm a little too inside my head and not in the real world. That's why I try to be in the moment. And I try to say that the dream is now because sometimes I'm thinking that the dream is next year. And I really I need to be working on that today. Yeah, I love that. You mentioned, you know, Oprah, Maya Angelou, like you have all these quotes of these incredible leaders. So like, who do you really view as, as a strong leader? Like, who do you aspire to? Who do you, who do you pull lessons from? <laughs> I'm going to go with an easy one here, just because he's top of my mind. I got to shout out my mentor, Juan Sepulveda. Juan Sepulveda is a professor at Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas. He is a brilliant man. He got his JD from Stanford. I think he went to Harvard for his undergraduate or, or, or he got some type of degree from, from Harvard. Uh, one of the first Latino Rhodes Scholars to, to ever receive that recognition. And I like to say that I look up to Juan because of the way that he facilitates conversations, right? Even to this day, I find myself like, like what I'm doing right now with my hands, like I find myself doing what Juan does when he's talking. Uh, the way he approaches people, the way he checks in with folks, 
the way that in our, uh, you know, the way I met Juan, I should probably say it is through the Dream Lead Institute. Uh, the Dream Lead Institute is a national leadership development fellowship out of uh, San Antonio, Texas at Trinity University in partnership with the Hispanic Heritage Foundation, which is the national organization supporting Hispanic initiatives and Hispanic uh, advancement in the entire nation. So both organizations came together and uh, they put together this Dream Lead Fellowship with 30 young professionals who are also recipients of DACA. DACA is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. DACA, for those of you who are not familiar or our audience, is the executive order from President Obama that protects folks like me who came to this country as an undocumented immigrant. Uh, it, it gives us protection from deportation. And so I've had DACA since 2013 and I continue to have it now. Uh, so it was very unique to be part of this cohort because it was 30 young professionals like myself who had DACA, who were from all over the United States. We had folks from Washington State, from, from San Antonio, folks from New York. And Juan was the facilitator. He was the brain, he was the brains behind the lessons, the content. And I really admire his style. I like the way that he talked to us, the way he allowed us to come up with our own answers, the way that he believed in us and trust us. And I try to emulate his leadership in anything that I do at the soccer field. If I'm uh, you know, scheduling a trip to hang in rock with my friends, I'm thinking about how Juan would run it. If I am doing a salsa class, I think about how Juan would probably engage with the class, with the class and all those things. And so uh, I respect him because of his mannerisms, but also because he's just a cool dude who's a big San Antonio Spurs fan. So uh, when we're not talking business, we are talking basketball. So Juan is just a fantastic person and, and I look up for him uh, uh, 100%. Okay, quick thing. You mentioned that you're a basketball fan, but I've also heard that you're a pretty big baseball fan. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's uh, it's uh, most folks don't associate baseball with Mexico, and most folks are uh, mistaken because baseball is uh, a sport that is celebrated, played in Latin America. I mean, I oftentimes make the joke when you think about a regression analysis and what's significant and whatnot. If you look at what it takes to make it to the Major League Baseball, if you run a regression analysis and you include nationality, uh, being born in the Dominican would probably be a significant stat, right? So uh, that would really help your chances to making it to, to Major League Baseball. So Latinos uh, love baseball. Mexicans do too. So when I, from the moment I grew up, baseball's been around. My dad played it. My brother played it. My grandparent, my one of my grandpas played it, and I always admire and respected the Seattle Mariners because of Ken Griffey Jr., who I to this day consider one of the best players to ever touch uh, 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 or play baseball. And I tell you, I love them so much that when I had the opportunity to intern for a company as an undergraduate, one of the main reasons I chose to intern at Boeing back when I was in an undergraduate was because I was going to go to Seattle and I was going to be able to watch the Mariners play. I'm always looking around and trying to find ways to say, hey, baseball, soccer, what do we have in common? So I use those interests and those passions to build rapport and, and build relationships with the people that, I, that are in my life. So, you know, you are such an advocate for higher education, especially for Latinos. So can, what advice do you have for someone who is, is thinking, is business school the right path for me? Um, how, do you, how do you encourage them to maybe take the plunge? To me, 
any decision these days that I try to make, I try to analyze the data, get as much facts as that I can. But at the end of it, the decision is coming from, from the heart. Even though the data is telling me that I should do it, even though the, 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 everything that I'm looking around is saying that I should go with plan A, if plan B feels better, I'm gonna go with plan B because of that gut feeling and that emotion. And so I say that because if there's someone out there, you know, who is considering going to get an MBA, you wanna think about how it aligns with what you wanna do with your one precious life that we have. Another way of thinking through that from a leadership perspective is if you're trying to select the school, you want to think about who's going to be around you that is going to have an influence on you and what are you going to learn from them? But also I would advocate for people to think about who do they want to influence or how do they want to influence? What's the impact that they're trying to create and how will that space be different because you touched it? So as much as we think about, well, if I go to business school, I'm going to get a lot of it. I would even argue and ask people to think, well, how are you, what are you going to bring to the table? That will help you understand, I, in my perspective, whether what you bring and what you're trying to get out connect with each other. And if there's a nice spot where you get what you need and the school also gets something that is valuable out of you, then that will be a good decision for you. Now, I'm going to take you more from a more traditional lens, right? I'm talking to say a, 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 a minority student, someone who's a first generation college student who is graduated uh, college some years ago, is in their first job, is trying to, maybe they, they're trying to find something different and they're thinking about grad school. Uh, an investment in yourself will never be a bad investment. And so as you're considering maybe going to UNC for your MBA, and I certainly hope that any Latino, any minority student, an HSI graduate or an HBCU graduate or a, a student who, who is thinking about coming to Kenan Flagler, you wanna think about the purpose, the motive, the motivation that is gonna get you there. And it's gonna get you through it. Because as you know, Gabriela and Susan, it gets pretty tough. You know, that first mod, first and second mods with recruiting and all the things that are going on, it's intense, man. No, it's, it's tough. And there are going to be days that you're not going to be on purpose. There are going to be days where you're going to be sad and going to feel lonely and you're going to feel tired and you're going to feel like, you know what, I should stop doing this. And you know what, I can always just go back and continue working at the restaurant I was working six years ago. And maybe I should, that's going to be my life, right? I say that because I had that thought. I'm like, you know what, maybe I should just stop this whole corporate America thing and just go back and continue busting tables or cooking food for somebody else. Because I did that really well and it felt safe and I could always fall back on that. Challenge that belief because you will have that belief. I hope you don't, but chances are you probably will. And it connects a lot with that imposter syndrome that oftentimes we talk a lot about. It's like, do I really belong here? Do I really uh, have what it takes to be a MBA, right? Like, am I, am I really going to have this? You know, like, who do I think I am? That I feel like, I feel like I, I got that from my family too, or my parents. It's like, who do you think you are? Like, you know, like thinking you're going to get an MBA, you know, like, man, it's like, you should, like, you already are 
are, are at some place. And so I say this as it connects to the message to the people listening to this. I am not doing this MBA for the same reasons that I got my undergraduate degree. I got my undergraduate degree to make my family proud, uh, to make their sacrifice worth it. I came to Keenan Flagler for me. I came to Keenan Flagler to show me that I am more than my parents' dreams. I am more than the expectations other people have on me and that I can do whatever I want to do as long as I am inspired, as long as I am willing to put in the work and to be respectful of others, I'm going to be able to do it. And so I am trying to push this thing as far as I can to see where this was this, this kid who grew up in Mexico, who uh, learned to type on a typewriter, who didn't have a computer till he was like 22, who didn't have a phone till he was like 23, didn't start driving till 24, right? I want to see how far this kid can take it and have fun while I'm doing it. So <laughs> that's, that's what I'm about. And I hope that anyone considering coming to Kingdom Flagler considers themselves first before they consider the expectations they have from somebody else. Kevin, I love that. And I think you're right. It's so important that we think about us and celebrate ourselves and, you know, have those introspective moments where, you know, we really think at our core about the person you're with all day, every day, and, and that's you. And that really leads into a question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast, uh, which relates to the Keenan Flagler core values. And we talked about a lot of them in our conversation today, but I'm really curious as to which core value most resonates with you. Ah, uh, Susan, I tell you, I love all of them. Uh, and I am not, believe, I'm not saying that just to say it. I'm not saying that for nothing. Um, but to me, when I think about our values, the two ones that come to mind every time, that the ones that I try to say last because I know I got them. So I try to remember the other four first <laughs> is leadership and inclusion. You know, we talk about why did Kevin come to UNC? inclusion became a major part of this university's mission, okay? Seeing that, me being a corporate person, someone who talks about leadership and executive amplitude and how purpose and mission and values of an organization drive engagement and drive the, the, the actions that have to happen every day. When I see an organization say, you know what? We really should have inclusion years ago. Let's add it now. That spoke to me, all right? So as you hear me talk about in this, in this conversation, right, I talk about why did I come to UNC for the Latinx Center. I came to UNC to be one of the, to help the 9% of Latino undergraduates that get a graduate degree. And because, and why UNC? Because of this inclusion piece that they're trying to execute on, All right? I want to be part of that change. I want to be part of making UNC a place where students feel like they have a place where they belong a place where they feel like they can be themselves, a place where they can feel like they can speak up against a, a professor or against a student who's saying a comment that is not right. I wanna make sure that that space is a safe space and it's gonna take everybody. It's gonna take the leadership of the university. It's gonna take the students. It's gonna take the professors. It's gonna take everyone. I mean, it's gonna take the people at the cafeteria as well. 
is when I take everyone truly saying that I like it here. I want other people to like it too. And I'm going to try my best to make sure that what you say is valued and respected and recognized because I also want my ideas to be valued, respected, and recognized. Leadership is what drives that. To me, leadership is the art and the science of creating an environment in which teammates, classmates, professors uh, feel inspired to execute on the mission. And if the mission is to be excellent, if the mission is to have community, if the mission is to be uh, inclusive and to do everything with integrity while working as a team, then we're going to need to have some really good leadership because to uh, Gabriela's point, another great quote that I love is, the quality of an organization cannot exceed the quality of its leadership. The quality of your student group cannot exceed the quality of your student leadership. The quality of your, of your classroom is not going to exceed the quality of the professor teaching that. The quality of those teachers is not going to exceed the quality of the people that they report to. So we really need to say that our leadership, our ability to get things done needs to be top notch, needs to be the best, and needs to be okay. And it's okay to make mistakes because we're not going to get it right the first time. And we need to embrace that as well. So in this journey that we are of inclusion and diversity and DEI, not just in the university, but in the, in the corporate America, we really need our leadership to step up and say, I don't have all the answers. I want to hear from others. And I want to make sure that this space is a place where everyone is indeed valued, respected, and celebrated. Well, we thank you so much for joining us here on One Sky today. I, in closing, I do have to say, though, probably the most important question today. What, what's your favorite color, color Kevin? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what? When I turned 30, I made two decisions. Um, and I turned 30 last year. I, I decided that it's more than two decisions. I decided that I was gonna embrace my middle name a lot more. So my name is Kevin Tarek. I oftentimes don't use Tarek as often. So I decided that I was gonna embrace that. At the same time, I was going to embrace my, the connection that that name has with the rock of Gibraltar, right? And the concept of uh, being the rock, the concept of uh, uh, pushing through adversity and, and not quitting until you get it done. Uh, I encourage anyone who's familiar or who's not familiar with the Rock of Gibraltar and their story to really check it out. And the other decision that I made was that my 30s were going to be about Tarek being the Rock of Gibraltar and celebrating the Mexican pink. So anytime that I get to celebrate uh, the Mexican pink, which is a bright fuchsia color, uh, I get to do that because it gives me a lot of identity. It connects me with my roots. It connects me with Mexico. It makes me think about my Tia Laura. It makes me think about everyone that I haven't seen in many, many years. So to me, that is very special. And, and I really appreciate the question because it's something that uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be wearing a lot of pink if it wasn't for the history and the richness that it has and the value and the meaning, meaning that it has in me. So I appreciate that. So I, 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 Mexican pink for sure. Thank you again, Kevin. This has this has been phenomenal. <laughs> no, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to One Sky, produced by the Vetter Deans Fellows at UNC Keenan Flagler Business School. 
Our theme song is Exactly by Ketza. We'll be back with another episode soon, but until then, always remember, we all live under one sky, and it's Carolina Blue. So, why are you called El Chico del Apartamento 512? Anything for Selena. <laughs> Anything for Selena. Selena's. Yeah.